Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Guidepost in Motion, a podcast highlighting risk, compliance, and security professionals with insights meant to keep you, your business, and your operations moving forward. My name is Julie Myers-Wood, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Guidepost Solutions. Uh, Today, I'm very excited to welcome my dear friend to our podcast, a true visionary leader and innovator, Elizabeth or Liz Espen-Stern. Liz currently runs the D.C. office of a global law firm, Mayor Brown, and actually the firm that I started my law practice at. Uh, Liz is also a member of the firm's partnership board and is the worldwide head of its mobility and migration practice within the Employment and Benefits Group. Liz is a very accomplished professional. She's consistently ranked as a leading business immigration lawyer by Chambers Global, Chambers USA, Who's Who Legal, and just a list of other many prestigious awards. She's in Legal 500's Hall of Fame for Immigration, as well as Best Lawyers in America. Most recently, Liz was the recipient of Corporate Counsel's Women, Influence, and Power in Law Innovative Leadership Award. I've had the pleasure of knowing Liz and working with her for a number of years on some very sensitive matters. Uh, Liz, so glad to have you here today to our show. Can you tell us a little more about your background and your journey to the position of running the D.C. office of Mayor Brown? Thank you, Julie. First of all, it is an absolute pleasure to be on this podcast with you for Guidepost, who, of course, Mayor Brown has partnered with on many matters, sensitive matters, as you mentioned, but ones that have ended up being very productive for our clients. I'm very happy to talk about my background, and I'll, I'll start from the beginning. I am the uh, daughter of two parents from Quito, Ecuador. My father uh, was a diplomat with the Pan American Union and had a rich and novel career that gave me the opportunity to appreciate the importance of cross-cultural trends and lifestyles and habits that influence the business world. So it wasn't surprising that when I went into the practice of law, I craved and looked for opportunities that were international. And at the time, when I started in the practice of law, the tech sector was just erupting in the Washington area, from suburban Maryland all the way up the Mid-Atlantic Corridor, as a result of which immigration for senior executives and really top STEM talent was absolutely critical. I fell in love with that area really enjoyed the innovative approaches that tech companies took to develop their businesses and emulated that in the way that I built out my practice. It turns out after all these years that that kind of innovation is really how the business of law has evolved. And so I, I feel that as a friend of mine, a good friend of mine who was one of those first CEOs I worked with says, Liz, you tripped upon organizational development. And that's what your passion truly is. And it is. I love to help enterprises evolve and progress. And in particularly, of course, by how they uh, attract and retain talent. And I think what I do today in my management roles at Mayor Brown, leading the DC office at this time of just total transformation of the workplace and serving the firm in the top strategies and direction of the firm through the partnership board and other roles I hold um, really allows me to tap into those initial initial roots. 
cross-cultural, innovation, and how talent is used. And if in terms of tapping into your roots or developing your practice along the way, have you had any particular mentors or individuals that have been most significant in your growth? Oh, absolutely, um, Julie. I think you succeed in in your practice by seeking the guidance and counsel and, and looking at the example of those who are more successful than you. And I continue to do that all the time, hence why I love partnering with Julie. Um, my, my mentors and champions have been both partners at within my own firm that led other aspects of practice. For example, the corporate law practice, the employment law practice, and frankly, even the litigation practice from whom I learned different skills, advocacy skills, how to cut the deal, how to negotiate a winning solution for clients, how to manage client relationships. But in addition to them, I think my mentors and sponsors have been the clients themselves. I had the privilege of working with some of these tech companies very early on and working with their C-suite. And today I still work with that C-suite including not only the chief legal officer, but some of the chief business leaders within the enterprise. And I don't think there is a better, I, I just don't think there is a better resource to help you learn what clients need than the leaders within their own organizations. I found that to be the most fascinating part of my journey, how to interact with those folks and then bring my partners and associates and and business services staff along to understand what's in their mind, what's making them tick at the moment. But one thing that I think is is a bit unique is for someone in a leadership role to come from an immigration background. And I think you've explained very nicely how um, immigration and cross-border is, is more and more relevant, right? And you've worked with many kind of senior executives or other things, but I think it's pretty unusual at a, a major law firm to have an immigration or mobility lead have such a prominent role in the law firm. And so I wonder if you have any um, any thoughts about how you were able to do that or any maybe recommendations for others who are coming up through on the immigration path, but are also interested in law firm management? That is a great question, Julie. I, I think the same question could apply to anyone who's in a, in a, in a niche practice, if you will, a highly specialized niche practice. And I think the answer is that uh, really, again, where I started this discussion, that I evolved in my practice working with the C-suite of major clients. And so because I've worked as such a, a business generator and brought other practitioners in, not to only provide immigration services, but to look holistically at issues that have crossed my desk and how we can serve the client, I think I'm known as a, as a cross-border business lawyer. And I think our immigration practice is known as a catalyst practice, one that can be the catalyst. It gets you in the door with the right people, and you suddenly identify that there is a major cyber issue, that the company is struggling with, with technology transactions, that the overall preventative compliance policies of the company need re refurbishing, any aspect of that. And it's allowed me to always be expanding my horizons into, again, that organizational development of both the client and our enterprise. But I think it, my advice to others in very specialized practice like immigration is, be careful not to operate only in your lane. 
um, because that won't really bring as much value to the global law firm or to the client. It's wonderful to be a subject matter expert, but it's much better to be a true problem solver and to help advance the competitive goals of the clients by integrating with others that are adjacent to you in the firm. I think that's what's led to my positions. And I've had leadership positions um, in all of my firms. My first, my original firm was Shaw Pittman when it was Shaw Pittman and I was on the board of directors there. And I then moved to Baker McKenzie and I uh, took on senior management roles, including leading that DC office. And I came to Mayor Brown where I just fell in love with what the firm was trying to do and its strategy of cross-border holistic services for clients. And it's been a similar pathway here. And I think it's that connectivity with others that allows it to occur. Well, certainly that your ability to connect well with others and to integrate and to use your practice as a catalyst has been recognized uh, by by Mayor Brown. I think this past uh, September, the firm tapped you to lead the D.C. office that now has more than 200 attorneys. What's your vision for your new role within the firm, uh, really focusing first on the the D.C. market and the the D.C. practice? Thank you, Julie. I think, again, uh, it's interesting that I said that the immigration practice is a catalyst practice. I see the D.C. office of a major global firm at at all times, but in particular in a time of transformation like now, as a gateway office. It's a gateway that serves between government and clients, of course, but it's also a gateway into other major geo markets. Um, D.C. expands out into New York. London and out into the Middle East and Asian markets as just a natural progression, a connector, because we're the risk capital of the world. But DC also expands out to the West Coast and again around the globe to Asia and to Latin because um, major industry is coming back into DC, Amazon being only one of the mega examples, but only one. That ability to connect those different geos through DC requires us to ensure that we have rock star leadership and associates that we can retain across each one of the regulatory pillars that are relevant to be able to serve in that role. And I think as you look at um, the traditional Mayor Brown office, seeing that focus on whether it's trade and sanctions, cyber, antitrust, um, IP and control of data in new ways that we see and challenges to the control of data, immigration and employment and benefits and all those areas. And of course, the money, tax, financial regulation, et cetera, and SEC enforcement. It is just a great time to be the head of a DC office. So I will just say to those of your listeners that say, I might want to be affiliated with a great firm like that. We <laughs> would be delighted to have the conversation because we are we are growing, but we are growing with really a really superb caliber of talent and very specific progress points. 
Uh, I think that's great. And you are certainly always recruiting, Liz. I, I know that. <laughs> I know that for sure. And and of course, the traditional office and recruiting has been turned a bit upside down in the last couple of years, right? While the whole world is dealing with this continuing pandemic, <laughs> trying to f- figure out how we can get people back in the office, connecting together. You know, what are you doing at Mayor Brown? How's it working? What are any challenges that you have there on that front? I think the key is to be dynamic and flexible because just when you think it's safe to get back in the water and there's suddenly (laughs) another lockdown in Europe because of Omicron, you, you have to be flexible to that. But at the same time, you want to create invitations and opportunities for people to get together to think about the big ideas and just reconnect with each other. For us here in the office, we had the benefit of also doing a major renovation, which we we had to do. It would have taken three years and swing space and all kinds of problems to do. We just did it during the, the pandemic. And so we're in this you know, state-of-the-art, well, soon-to-be state-of-the-art space, still some kinks that we're working out. But the space is just very inviting, uh, a lot more collaboration spaces. We're using opportunities for invitation for people to get together and really um, reconnect on the shared mission and shared purpose that we're headed for. In the beginning of the new year, we will have a leadership retreat uh, for the D.C. practice group leaders and a number of other uh, leaders of mentorship, diversity, uh, other aspects that are critical to what we do. We are having consistent Thursday night events Um, where we really invite individuals, if they're comfortable, to join us and to have some discussion on a critical topic, either from a client. Julie, we'd love to have you sometimes come and join us. And then we break out into an appropriate cocktail. Um, We are having brainstorming and whiteboarding sessions, always with a hybrid component because we have to be respectful of the times, but bringing people back for those kinds of things. And so far, the reviews are excellent, even as we all try to temper our desire to be together to match the safety protocols. It, it's very difficult. And of course, Liz, I will never turn down an opportunity for a cocktail. So please uh, keep, <laughs> keep me in mind for that Thursday night uh, event. Um, but I did want to talk a little more about your leadership style, because I have had the privilege of working with you on a couple of very sensitive long-term ma- matters and have seen your ability to work with clients just so effectively and to really kind of understand their needs and really see your leadership of your team and our whole group kind of working together. So I'd be interested in understanding kind of what what's your leadership style, um, you know, within investigations or compliance practice? Is that the same for the larger firm? And and how do, how are you effective? Um, and what's, uh, uh, you know, what's, what's your, um, what's your typical manner? Thank you, Julie. I guess I would say, first of all, I myself feel that you lead by example, and therefore I am very engaged in what I'm doing, whether it's a conversation or a boardroom discussion, a practice group planning, what, whatever we're doing, meeting with the head of my recruitment team here internally in the in the office or my facilities manager, I think that in those moments, it's important that I be engaged, that the individuals on the receiving end of that discussion recognize that I'm fully committed to them in that moment. I think my leadership style is also always taking a look slightly into the future on the horizon, not just what we have in front of us, 
but what's coming and how we can take advantage of those opportunities. Sometimes what's coming isn't so pleasant. Sometimes it's a challenge, but the way that we plan for it, that we forecast, that we're stretching ourselves can be very helpful. So I think my leadership style is always to encourage people to forecast, to take a little risk, to start to assess what comes next. That works very well with clients because, of course, in a in an era where we probably have an oversaturation of lawyers, um, finding business partners that are willing to map out the future, think about it, get them ahead of ahead of the curve, is something that appeals to them. Whether you're in the thick of the crisis or just getting prepared for the next turn in the market, I think clients really appreciate that. I'm trying to apply that here. I think the final point is invite the ideas, the dialogue, open the doors of communication. You can't be unwilling to hear people think through concerns, issues, et cetera, because some insights come from that, some opportunities for what we can refine. And I think opening those doors of communication is very important. You eventually empower others to continue to pay that forward. But I think you start particularly early in your leadership, such as my D.C. office leadership, to just open those doors of dialogue. I love that idea to invite the ideas, right, to to really encourage uh, feedback and innovation. And I think that's critical when there can be potentially an oversaturation of lawyers and everyone (laughs) is competing, right, to serve clients best and and to see what's, what's coming next. As you think about the future, the future of the practice of law, where things are headed, uh, do you have any observations on on that piece? You know, what are you seeing in terms of what's next or what's around the corner? I think that um, because the world economy generally has now shifted, um, the economy is doing relatively well, considering what we expected in this global pandemic. But the way we go about conducting business has changed. Anything that was physical, that required physical movement, is now much more limited. And data movement, which is sometimes, not always, but sometimes can help to facilitate that, is vulnerable to intrusion, as as we know, every day. I think businesses are having to rethink how they go about doing business. And I think governments are having to rethink how they regulate business in this environment. I don't think anyone has all the answers, but this is a time to elevate the discussion as outside counsel to more than whatever the assignment of the day is, to be thinking about preparedness for the future. I think the emerging technologies area is pivotal to every aspect of what we do, whether it's um, immigration work or um, the 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 uh, the response to um, a capital markets needs or corporate governance. And I think taking that into account and being ahead of the curve on it is critical. The other trend, no one can ignore it, is ESG. What does it really mean? Everyone's talking about ESG, but what does it mean now? It's no longer just about uh, climate change. It's about really everything else. What is our societal framework for how we preserve the ability to continue as a planet. And I think that area has not filtered in all the outside counsel interaction yet the way some of these other things have. They'll be interesting to see how that evolves. I think it's a time for big thoughts, for being ahead of it, 
for watching and perhaps influencing how major governments like like our government here in Washington, D.C., attack these issues, because I think people are not prepared. This pandemic um, accelerated transformation that we probably thought we'd have 10 to 15 years to get used to, and it seems to have happened in two. Uh, very well said. Uh, definitely uh, happened overnight. Um, I, I can see why you were named an innovative leader, right, <laughs> Liz? Why, why uh, you know, thinking thinking this way have given me kind of a lot to think about just kind of during our, our podcast. And last year, actually, one of my favorite conferences, it's the um, Corporate Council's Women, Influence, and Power in Law. It's just an amazing conference for all, all you women listening out there. You certainly should try to go to it. It's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but they named you, you know, an innovative leader for all your work in advancing the empowerment of women in law. And so I know that there are many junior female lawyers out there who are listening and they want to know, how can I be like Liz Stern? You know, what advice, <laughs> what advice would you give me as a junior female lawyer? And so what would you tell them? I would tell them that it's very important to be willing to step up and be who you are and be vocal about it. And and not all not all women are want to be vocal or comfortable being vocal. Not all people are. But your ideas are golden. You are wired in a particular way. You have a set of skills that brought you to this point in the law and you need to bring them to the table. And I do think that no matter what, because the critical mass can be um I don't know, I give the example of the boardroom often my 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 first big, big, big boardroom meeting was 13 individuals. It was 12 very large, very tall (laughs) men with big, deep voices. You all can't see me, but I am neither tall nor do you can hear. I do not have a big voice. And here I was thinking, how do I communicate in this group? And I noticed different communication styles. And I had ideas that I really wanted to ventilate. I wanted to discuss them before we made a decision. And I noticed many of those boardroom folks were ready to make that decision on the spot. Be true to yourself. Be genuine. Communicate and explain to those that are different from you how you are thinking when you want to return to a discussion that you haven't made a decision yet. Um, be true to yourself, but bring your great ideas forward because you enrich the profession by doing that. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I think those are all great, uh, great things to remember. Um, one thing that I really admire about you, Liz, and I see in working with you with clients is that you treat all client matters with urgency. You treat them as if they are your their own. And I think that is really important because clients want to know that their problems are your problems, that you're sharing them and that you think they're just as important as they do. And I wonder um, where, you know, where this sense of urgency came from is that, am I correct that you have this, that, that you share this um, with client concerns? I, I do. Um, Julie, thank you for saying that because I do think that is, that is, that is in my DNA And I think, again, it has to do with working with the tech community when they were just burgeoning in the D.C. area. Uh, There wasn't another way to view it. Um, Their needs were urgent. It it was the difference between um, keeping their company possibly going, a competitive difference, et cetera. I was trained to be side by side with them and to for it to matter. 
And that is just natural to me. And um, a client would have to say to me, Liz, we just don't need you in this issue. Step back. I've yet to have that happen. They seem to respond very well for it, but it's just natural to me. It's the way I was trained. And I will say that it's very, very important. You asked about the workplace and how we handle the workplace. It's very important that we as law firm leaders train our associates the same way. We shouldn't shield them from the client need. We shouldn't be too much of a buffer for them. They need to see it up close and personal because this is what will train them in saying, oh, this matters. This is why I'm doing this. Shoot, I'm recording that half hour time. It's not about that. It's about what I do with that half hour. And uh, if we can give them that vantage point, I think that will certainly give them a sense of purpose and, and help us to retain and excite and cultivate them. Uh, well, you've given us a great vantage point today to understand a little more about how you approach things and what Mayor Brown is doing. Um, and, you know, frankly, it's been a great, a great partnership working with you over a number of years, Liz. And so I was so thrilled to have you on our podcast today. Thank you, Julie. It's been my absolute pleasure. And thank you so much to our audience for tuning in. Of course, for more information about Guideposts, please visit our website at guideposttsolutions.com. Thanks a lot.